Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Oh. Oh. Guess I'm just a good man. Oh. Well, I'm all right. You are not Captain Kirk. You do not belong in charge of the Enterprise and I shall do everything in my power against you. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with you understand who's in command here. Frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Welcome to another exciting, enthralling, post-pounding, head-bashing, head-banging, um, fat-preventing uh, edition of SFP Now. Uh, joining me to go over the news this week um, uh, is, is Raisa. Um, our interview this week, she's fairly new to acting, actually. She's only been doing television now uh, professionally for about eight years, I reckon. Um, it's an actress called Kate Drummond who was a uh, recently she she did a sci-fi movie a sci-fi miniseries called Cat Eight with Matthew Modine and she also provided the voice for one of the uh, major characters in the uh, in the last Tom Clancy Splint Cell game which was a Splint Cell blacklist so we'll be talking to uh, to Kate to Drummond a little bit later on but first. Um, it's Raisa and I with um with, with some of the news stories that we we wanted to discuss. And um, Raisa, do you want to start this week, or should I? I think I'll, I'll start. Um, the the biggest thing for me is that they've finally announced the date for the final season sob of uh, Warehouse Thirteen. Mm-hmm. It's coming in April. Yeah, it's, it's going to be April fourteenth. April fourteenth. It's it's really sad news, um, and it's only six episodes this uh, last season as well, which is even yeah. sadder news. Um, well, we we were we were lucky to get those final six episodes because they were almost going to end it on that cliffhanger. Yeah. So. Well, I, I suppose we're lucky to get those, but you know, I tell you what, I'm going to miss um, because since Warehouse Thirteen has been on the air. Um, as, as you know, I'm on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel list uh, for, for uh, their phone conferences and I've got their press releases and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the phone conferences that I've been on uh, with the cast from Warehouse 13 have been some of the funniest conferences that I've ever had the privilege of, of being a part of. The, you know, the, the, the actors of that show, uh, whether it's Eddie Plintox or Rubinick um, or, or um, is it Joanne Kelly? Yeah, Joanne Kelly. Um and and we even had um we even had Jamie Murray on one. Oh yeah, she's um, awesome. They they are incredibly warm people. They you know, and it's very very obvious that they care a great deal about the show. They care a great deal about the fans, and 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 um you know, 
they 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 love they love doing the show. Yeah, and, and they yeah. Love the fact that the fans love love the show as well, and it's um it's gonna be um it's gonna be sad. It's gonna be the end of the year, end of an era for me in 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 that sense from from someone who's who blogs about stuff, um because those phone conferences I'm up forward to them every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. You know, when when I get um whenever I get an email from 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 the guys at Sci-Fi, uh, with with a phone conference coming up about Warehouse Thirteen, because I'll probably do two this year. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be on those like uh like cat and catnip. I'm telling you. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to yeah. those. Yeah. On other sci-fi news, um, on on a a, a better front, uh, Haven has finally been renewed for the equivalent of two seasons. Uh, 26 episodes, uh, two 13 episode seasons. They were taking their own sweet time. I was afraid that one was going to end on a cliffhanger too. Mm-hmm. Um, they were dra- they were dragging their knuckles on that one, but they finally they finally figured out what they were doing, and Haven's been renewed for two seasons effectively. Yeah, I don't watch Haven. I watched I I, I think I I basically watched quite a bit of the first season, watched um, a little bit of the second, and um, caught most of the third. It, it got better as it went, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it was one of those deals where the end of the third season ended on one of those cliffhangers that was unmistakably a cliffhanger. It wasn't even one of those things that could double as a series finale if you squinted. It was unmistakably a cliffhanger, and uh, and the audience was very much left wondering what the hell was going on. So I'm finally glad that they figured out uh, what they're going to do with that. The other piece of news is that sci-fi has come up with the one reality competition that I'm actually going to have to watch. The Jim Henson Creature Workshop. Yes. (laughs) Um, I don't watch the, I don't watch a lot of reality competitions. Most of them are not my thing, but that one I'm actually going to have to make time for. Well, I know, um, and I know that Ty who we have on here, um, he, he, he actually uh, made friends with uh, one of the contestants of a face-off at ah. a convention a couple of years back, and he, he got to interview her. Um, unfortunately, she didn't go on to win the competition, but face-off is one that, you know, that where, where they do special effects makeup. Yeah, I've watched a couple episodes of that. It's all right. Um, it, it, a lot of it depends on, on, on what the theme of their episode, uh, what the theme of their makeup is in terms of whether I'm interested or not. But uh, but it, that was fairly good. And so this is uh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop is going to be the, the face-off for animatronics, and it's probably going to be awesome. Um, Gigi Edgley from, from Farscape, Chiana from Farscape, is going to host it. Um, Brian Henson himself is going to be the chief judge. Um, it's going to be it's going to be off the rails, brilliant, in terms of what we see. I have no doubt, um, but I'm actually going to have to make time for that one. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to go over the you know as soon as I see an episode, I'm going to go to the hardware stuff store, see what I can find, and uh, and see if I see if I can come up with a sci-fi pulse uh, creature feature puppet or something. Oh. <laughs> Um, although I'll probably give up after about half an hour and throw everything, throw everything away. <laughs> but I used to, yeah. make, I used to, I used to make when I was a kid. I used to make lots of cool models out of plasticine, and you know, when when I studied art, I did a, I did a junk sculpture of a of a motorcycle out of junk. Oh, cool. <laughs> so <laughs> I even made, a, I even made a dragon uh, and a pretty cool looking dragon. Don't have it anymore, unfortunately, but. I made it out of a chicken wire and um, and and this kind of plaster of Paris stuff called Modrock. Mm. Um, and that 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 was pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's not easy to work with either. You know, to to get a convincing dragon. 
Um, no, apparently, apparently the um, the incentive for the the prize is going to be a hundred thousand dollars cash money and a job with the Henson Creature Company, the, um, the Henson um, Company within their um, creature department, and and they're actually going to have access to the Henson equipment in terms of uh, constructing their critters. And we're actually going to get to see all sorts of behind the scenes stuff. So that's going to be so much awesome. Cool. Well, I I got um I found an interesting bit of news um and this con this is continuation on the theme because we've actually posted quite a bit of news about this show last week on SciFiPost.net um and it's a show it's a new series Gotham which is kind of like a Batman prequel which centers mm. on um which centers on a young Commissioner Gordon when when he's Detective Gordon. Yes, and I'm I'm really hoping this doesn't suck. This needs to be good. Yeah, well, I'm hoping it's good. Um, I mean, you know, out of the casting, they've cast Sean Pertwee as uh, Alfred the Butler, who's um, an ex-Special Forces uh, military officer. I'm thinking that's a pretty cool vent on Alfred. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like they, that. They've had variations on that theme before, but I don't, I don't think um, Alfred's been quite quite the bruiser. So this should be interesting take. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they have they've had variations of it in the comic, um, but not necessarily in the cartoons and the films and TV series. So true, true. Um, so you know, and and the thing is, Sean Pertwee actually looks apart as well. So it's gonna mm -hmm. it's gonna be that, and that's probably gonna be one of the most interesting things about it for me. Uh, but it's been revealed that basically uh, Bruce Wayne is going to be a series regular, ah. which means that Alfred will be a series regular as well. Awesome. Um, but basically, they 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 put out a casting call for an eleven year old for an eleven year old um boy, mm. um who who can sort of like uh, who can sort of like play the uh, the the troubled uh the troubled sort of like young 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 boy with 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 the right amount of gravitas. Mm. So um that that that's a bit of news that I found about uh Gotham. That's cool. Um, so it's gonna gonna be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, another bit of news we talked about this briefing last night is uh, Ron Howard um, has confirmed that he's actually in talks to do um, a remake of the Jungle Book. Mm. And again, let's just hope it doesn't suck. Yeah, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like Blue Bear crossed with Batdraft and Cinderella Man. <sighs> yeah, this is going to be live action, right? I should imagine it will be because I can't see Ron Howard doing, you know, doing animation. But that said. Uh, Scott, was it Scorsese that did an animation a couple of years ago called Hugo? Um, that involved CGI, but was live action. So, mm -hmm. and um, <laughs> and and this this will this will be happening over the weekend. But we'll give it a quick mention that the there's going to be um, they're going to be showing um, the, the 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 two sets of missing dot two stories at uh, the Prince Charles. Theatre tomorrow awesome. in, in London. So I figured we'd give that a quick mention. Yes. And um and and last week um Sci-Fi released a, a press release um for Sharknado two. Yeah. And um apparently they've got um not not Sharon Osborne but her daughter. Yeah, I I watched Sharknado on one of the repeats just to see what it was and it was Terrible, I know. Yes, it was terrible. <laughs> it was it was um it was it, it was almost so bad it was good but not quite. I can I can sort of see why it became the sensation it did. 
Mm. Well, you, you you kind of need to you need to have downed um, half a bottle of vodka before you can watch it and get any sense of enjoyment from it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's actually designed only for for uh, alcoholics and um, and geeks that are very very stoned. Yeah. Like like yeah. Um, like like Jeff and um, what was it? What was it? What was the name of the of the two geeks from Big Bang Theory? You know, from from Chuck that formed Jester, Jeff and Nestor. Yeah, from Big yeah. Bang Theory. It's aimed at those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I won't be watching Sharknado two. Sharknado one was as much as I could stand. Um, but it's it's interesting that they're attempting a franchise out of it because I mean it just proves that you never know what's going to take off. Yeah, well, you know, I I can actually see them getting merchandise out on it as well. You know, you know, you know, sculptures of um of, of loads and loads of sharks. There are there are already like some merchandise. Things out there. I've seen. I've seen um, Sharknado costumes and things for Halloween. Yeah. Well, a big story that happened last night is a uh, Gravity Queen look at the Baftas. Yes. Um, I will be renting that one when I get back from my trip. Well, it's been so. it's been it's been quite controversial actually um, here in the UK. Because a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, movie um, people here in the UK are complaining that it shouldn't really have been eligible for a BAFTA, given that it was mostly um, American money that produced it and American cast. Ah, okay. Um, so it, there's a lot of uh, a lot of whining and complaining going on about the fact that it was even that it was even up for a BAFTA. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. One of the producers is British, um, and I think the uh, guy that did the music is British as well. But it was mostly American cast, and uh, you know, and and think that, I think the director was Mexican. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, Fonda Corona's Mexican. But they, um, they, 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 they weren't happy about it at all. The, uh, the you know, the the British film critics, um, they, they, they think they, they, they feel that it shouldn't really be eligible for a BAFTA. Oh, that's there's something to be said for that. Mm. Um, and you know, it even went to the point of um, of um, pointing out that it didn't even qualify on any on, on any of the uh, any of the legal qualifications for it to be a BAFTA as well. Oh dear. So it's um, it, it's a bit of a weird one, but an offshoot of that story is um, composer Stephen B. Price uh, won, won won the BAFTA for the uh, theme tune to uh, Gravity, and it was actually revealed on Twitter shortly after him receiving the award. Uh, Edgar Wright revealed on Twitter that Stephen B. Price is going to be doing the uh, music for Ant Man. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. So that's uh, that that that's sort of like uh, one thing that's come out of it. Um, and you know, I'm kind of um, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I wish that they would um, that they would uh, cast Janet Van Dyne. I haven't heard who's playing her yet, but maybe she'll be in the next one. Janet, is she, she, um... She's Wasp. Wasp, yes. All right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've I seen Wasp in the Avengers cartoon. She's pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. And she, she, um, I guess I don't have time to read a lot of these comics, but I have been reading up in the, in the Marvel database that they have. And she is, um, the original Ant-Man's main squeeze and one of the founding members of the Avengers in the original iteration. And a lot of fans are wondering where she is. Mm-hmm. In um, And she was actually cut from an early version of the Avengers script and actually made it far enough to get into some of the storyboards, which you can still see online for mm-hmm. the Avengers, the first one. 
And there's also a, a new Tarzan movie in the works. Mm, yes. Um, which um, you know, I, I you know, I'd be interested to see what they do with that. But you know, at the, at the same time, I think it's kind of like in terms of movies, they're kind of like beating a dead horse. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Well, that said, in 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 the uh, movies that we've had of Tarzan uh, today. Hardly any of them, any of them have ever taken advantage of the uh, sort of like supernatural and sci-fi elements of the um, of the Tarzan novels. Mm. So if they if they were to do a movie that took more advantage of the supernatural elements of the Tarzan novels, um, it could be interesting. Mm, it could. It could. Yeah. So um, I'm not completely close to it, but you know, it's gonna have to be uh, it's gonna have to be good, and they're gonna have to cast uh, real actors and not Casper Van Dien. Yeah. Or Jay yeah. March. And 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 another one that uh another one that we 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 um kind of missed out last week and uh, and we haven't really talked about is uh, the fact that Dracula creator is developing a new Robin Hood series with BBC America. The premise of that one, I mean, I, I'm kind of torn on that in that everybody's doing Robin Hood or has done Robin Hood to death. By the same token, this particular premise is kind of interesting. This premise, I uh, I read your article and red coverage of it in other places. Uh, the writer is apparently going to fix it so that the sheriff of Nottingham is Robin Hood. Yeah, I think, so. you know, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit conflicted on that because the sheriff of Nottingham um, in the actual Robin Hood story has always been sort of like the ultimate villain. Yeah, yeah. And, and King John's always been kind of like a buffoon. Yeah. You know, he's, he's always been kind of like a king that doesn't really know what he's doing sort of thing. And, and the Sheriff of Nottingham's always been sort of like the real power behind the throne. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, being, being a history buff, I'm, I've always been kind of torn about that because in, in actual history, Richard I, the Lionheart, um, isn't all that in a bag of chips like he's made out to be in the stories. He's yeah, actually he, he doesn't even speak English, and um, no, he's, he's, he, hate, he he hates England. He doesn't speak English. He spends most of his time in the family's French territories, uh, or on crusade, getting bashing and smashing and getting kidnapped. And uh, he's not actually a good king of England. His brother John is actually a better king of England, relatively speaking, but John has gotten the shorter end of the stick. Not that he was perfect either. He had, he had, there were other issues with John, um, but he, he at least attempted to be the king of England um, in ways that his brother Richard didn't quite manage. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what they do with it, but, you know, I've got a feeling that it could, uh, it could even last a season and die a very quick death, much like Camelot did. Yeah. Or you know it could potentially go on for a few years like they did with like it did with Robin of Sherwood, mm. which you know today it's probably got you know Robin of Sherwood today has got to be the uh, most fondly remembered uh, iteration of Robin Hood in modern times. Mm, yeah. Um, simply because it had that supernatural song like element going on with it with her and the Hunter. And um, and Robin having visions and 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 be, be, being song like her. Are ordained as a protector of the woods and of and and, and of, of the of the poor by by her and hunter. Mm, okay. Kind of was, okay. Well, I'm not quite sure if that was the gist of it, but you know that's the way I always kind of like uh, un- sort of understood it. But I I always found that one was you know that that was that was probably the most interesting uh, modern interpretation 
Um, of course, we had Robin Hood a couple of years ago on BBC One with um, with, with um, Jonas Armstrong. Yeah, that one that one I missed, and frankly, I'm I'm not in a huge rush to see that one because I'm I'm not too keen on the notion that Marion, spoiler, 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 Marion apparently gets killed off. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they kind of like, they, they turned Marion into an action hero, basically. Um, they, they turned her, whereas in all the other iterations of Robin Hood, she's kind of like the uh, damsel in distress, or, or she helps she helps Robin in, you know, less aggressive sort of like ways. She, she uses her influence on the court, yeah, as yeah. it were, um, yeah. and, 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 and back channel stuff. In, in, you know, and that, that was kind of like a, a little bit apparent in the uh, in the awful Kevin Costner film, mm. um, which is so awful it's always worth watching for a bit of a math. Yeah, I think I, I, I actually think I skipped that one. <laughs> especially especially when you you have Christian Snater at the end uh, tra- trying to be really, really English and he's saying, but I'm me, he made it. <laughs> and it's just oh the, it's oh just the, it's just the intonation. But I me, he made it. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> so okay. At the end when, when Robin Hood's catapulted over the top of a fence and then there's another bit where they're all they're all getting ready to be young and one of them turns around to the other one who's just having the noose put around his head and he says, You're all right, mate <laughs> uh. <laughs> It's just so bad it's good. <laughs> Oh dear me! Um, but um, it, you know, the Marion did die, but she dies kind of heroically. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that series, they you know they came off Robin Hood. Robin Hood ah. dies, and uh, they 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 were hoping to continue it after a fashion because at the end, um, all the merry men were saying, "Well, you know, Robin Hood's just an idea." Yeah, yeah. So we we can we can all be Robin Hood. He's just an idea. Yeah, sort yeah. of thing, and. I thought, well, yeah, he's just an idea, and he's a he's a very good idea. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you need you need the uh, the right kind of a uh, guy with a gravitas to pull the idea off. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, none of the merry men actually had that. No. Um, but you know, it's it was an okay series. It was quite an enjoyable series. Uh, pre Merlin days, because it's sort of like Merlin came on and replaced it, right? Basically, mm. um, it's hard, hard to believe that 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 show it ran between. I think it ran between two thousand four and two thousand seven or something. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand six. It was um, quite a while ago, like that now. But it was. I actually quite enjoyed it, but I you know I didn't enjoy it as much as I did Robin of Sherwood. Mm. All for that matter, the classic Errol Flynn. Robin Hood. Oh, that's that never gets old. The Errol Flynn version never gets old. Yeah, I've got that. That's awesome. I've got it on DVD. I pull it out every couple of years. It's just a, it's just classic. Uh, it's just a classic film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially the sword fight at the end between Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone. Oh, that's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not as kung fu as it would be now, but it's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And it's choreographed by the. Uh, Choreographed by the guy that he also helped Mr. Sumu with the fencing scene in in the Naked Time. Oh, cool! Um, and, and I think he was still working well into the nineties. That 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 uh, fight was that had, was but... that Bob Anderson. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He just re- he recently died, actually. Yeah, I remember. It was a. Uh, I think he died last year. Last yeah. year, but it was a. Uh, he, he was still working well into the nineties. Yes. Yeah. Which which is unbelievable, really. Uh, given given that you know fight choreography, so like, you'd imagine it's quite a physical job. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess it gave him longevity. 
I, I guess it did. Uh, I guess I must um, I must learn to sword fight and uh, become a fight choreographer in Hollywood. <laughs> and I, I perhaps might even live to about uh, 999 if I do that. <laughs> But, but it's a bit like the uh, it's a bit like the uh, the chimpanzee that played Cheetah in the original uh, Johnny Wiseman and Star Tarzan movies. That 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 chimpanzee was actually still around in the eighties. Wow! wow. <laughs> I believe it was. I'm not not hundred percent sure if it was, but um, I, I seem to recall my late mother saying, "Oh, we know that you know that's the same chimpanzee." Wow. Um, when when she you know when she was song like uh, when when we were watching the old Ronnie Eli series and. I, I think they used it a couple of times after that. Oh. But, you know, it's uh, that, that chimp lived a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mother led me to believe, whether it did or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kind of like to believe that chimp lived a long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, because it, it means it's hope for Sasha Cat, who's 18. Yeah. And asleep yeah. on my coffee table right now. Cats are weirdos. Sneeps on my desk, sneeps on my lap, sneeps on my coffee table, and sneeps on the side of the sink on the drain, you know, next to the draining board. Wow. It's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, is there anything else? Let's see. I um, wanted to mention that the extended trailer for Showtime's Penny Dreadful is available. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks really good. Um, it looks like a sort of more surreal variation of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Cool. Yeah. And um, so I, I, had, I had some issues with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, I, I feel like um, Alan Moore went a little too far, but then he's Alan Moore and that's what he does. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that this is uh, you know, sort of some, some of the same ideas, but in a different direction. It's got some of the um, Stoker stuff. It's got... Um, um, Dorian Gray, it's got Frankenstein. I'd be curious to see what else it's got. It's got Eva Green vamping it up. Oh, Eva Green, you know, if, if she can vamp it up, um, she, she's more than welcome to come around mine and vamp it up. Yes. I, 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 I've kind of got the hots for Eva Green. I don't know what it is about her, but, you know, there's, there's, something, there's something very, very alluring about Eva Green to me. It's, it's probably the com- combination of um, being built like a brick house with the accent. So. Yeah, I think, I think it's the, you know, the fact that she's in a lot of period stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, I think she's got, I think she's kind, she's kind of got, you know, kind of got like Betty Davis eyes, hasn't she? She's got very big yeah, eyes. Yeah, she, in fact, she's in um, the sequel to 300, Rise of an Empire. I'm, I might rent that one, although I'm kind of underwhelmed. Um, I'm gonna rent that one. I'm not gonna go go out my way to see that one. Um, here's something that will probably interest you. I've been sent this for review actually. Um, it's um, it's a DVD ring. It's coming out in the UK on March on March the tenth. Uh, recommended retail price for it is going to be fifteen pounds ninety nine. Um, and it's called Frankenstein: The True Story. And it was made in 1973, um, and they're describing it as a rewarding mini-epic filled with masterful performances. Um, And it stars James Mason, Leonard Whiting, David McCallum, Jane Seymour, and Tom Baker. Ah, okay, yeah. I don't think I've heard of this one, but it sounds promising. Here's what it it says about the the film in the uh, press blurb that they've given me. It says... 
One of the most acclaimed versions of Mary Shelley's classic Frankenstein, the true story featuring a stellar all-star cast including James Mason and Leonard Whiting, makes its UK DVD debut thanks to Second Sight Films. Made in 1973, this much-lauded film also stars David McCagum from The Man From U.N.C.L.E., Jane Seymour, Live and Let Die, Tom Baker, Doctor Who, Ralph Richardson, The Fallen Idol, John Gielgud, Gandhi, and Peter Sangis, Last of the Summer Wine, and will be released for the first time on DVD on March, tw- March 10th, 2014. In 19th century England, Dr. Victor Frankenstein, Whiting, um, better, you know, bitter over his brother's untimely death, voices his wish that men could have power over, over life and death. Following a chance encounter with Dr. Henry Knervel, uh, played by David McCagan, a surgeon experimenting in this very field, they join forces and Victor achieves the impossible, the creation of life. He creates a handsome, highly intelligent young man, um, who's played by Michael Sherazin, um, but unforeseen problems and the involvement of evil scientist Dr. Pangadori, played by James Mason, lead to shocking, unimaginable horror. Ah, and the, the, nod, to, the nod to the real uh, basis for the story with Dr. Polidori. Mm-hmm. That's cute. Okay. Yeah, well, that's in the, uh, that, that, that's actually, uh, uh, it's about, about three hours long, so I've got to find time to watch it. I'm going to be reviewing it in a couple of, week, in, in a couple of weeks on the uh, site. Cool. Um, but I thought, I'd, I thought I'd, you know, given that you mentioned Penny Dreadful, I thought it was a great opportunity to mention that. Yes, um, yes. And to give it a little bit of plug for any any, any any fans of Frankenstein that are out there. Yeah. Um, By the way, Penny Dreadful, from what I can tell, is not an ongoing. It's an eight-episode miniseries. Well, you know, if it's good, it might go into an ongoing. But if it if, if it's good but not quite good enough to be an ongoing, it would be a good, good eight-episode miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Because you know? Logan um, um, uh, was saying that he wrote eight episodes and didn't write or, or plan any more than that in one of the featurettes that I saw. So. I mean, the one thing I was really, really disappointed in last year was Da Vinci's Demons. I watched one episode of that and decided it wasn't for me. So I watched about four episodes, but I, I, I was paying less and less attention to it as each episode went by. Uh, it it, se- it seemed it seemed you know all flash and no substance. Yeah, it didn't draw me in. I, I, I kind of need both, you know. Um, but it was it was it was a good effort, and it was one of those ones. I think I started watching it because I I had heard that Bear McCreary had done the music for it. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And his music was very good. His music is always good, but this but the story they constructed was they were trying too hard. It involved cabals and, and 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 magic and mysticism and it just it, and it just it, it got it got weird. I, d- I didn't mind the magic and mysticism and the cabals and stuff like that, but they just um, they just spent way too much time explaining it and not enough time actually uh, showing it, you know, in action sort of thing. Mm. It, it, it they just it was just so like um, it was just way way way. He's just weighed far too much down with uh, expositional bullshit. Mm. But they didn't really need, yeah, yeah. to be honest. Um, because the way I, you know, if I was writing it in something and it had a cabal in and something like that, I'd actually, I'd actually do it where there's, a, where, where there's, you know, a few mysterious events mm-hmm. uh, happen throughout the period of a few episodes, 
while, 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 while the uh, main characters are getting on with a standalone sort of like story mm-hmm. sort of thing, and then bring then bring the uh, Kabang in a bit like they did with DS9 and the uh, and the changings and stuff like that. You know, I I wouldn't bring bring the Kabang in right away or, or or any of that. Anyway, I think um I. I I think we kind of talked enough. Uh, I just want to sort of point out that the um, Sci-Fi Pulse merch.co.uk store is now open. Um, we've got some great stuff, as Ray saw a test. You've seen yes. some of the stuff we've got. Yes. Um, and you can visit us on that store and register an account if you feel inclined to buy something. If you're in the UK, you can just go to Sci-Fi Pulse merch.co.uk. Uh, that is S-C-I-F-I-P-U-L-S-E-M-E-R-C-H dot co dot UK. And you just, you know, all you need to do is um, if you if you want to register an account, you can register an account and you can, you know, you can just register and not buy anything right away or you can register and, and buy something right away and... Uh, you know, all, all the proceeds from 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 that uh, go towards keeping this podcast running, as well as the uh, website um, and everything else. And we're going to be opening um, a Facebook group as well uh, for it. Um, and we've got lots of exciting things going on uh, to do with Sci-Fi Pulse merch, as well as an American version of the site that will be coming coming um, in 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 near future as well. Um, in fact, we're going to be doing a show on it, you know, next week, you know, talking about uh, different science fiction and fantasy merchandise, uh, you know, that we all grew up with and like, sort of kind of like a little nostalgia, sort of like party, uh, talking about the sort of things we, we, we liked and enjoyed um, and, and the sort of things that we're hoping to uh, bring to the store. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Because, you know, as Reese said, there's lots of cool stuff out there, isn't there? Yes, yes, there's <laughs> some lovely stuff. Some some really cute stuff. I mean, I, I actually found uh, an Abram Bar pop bobblehead yesterday, which was it's quite adorable. funny. <laughs> I, I just sort of found it and I, I, I split my sides laughing when I saw that. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's lots of really cool stuff for um, for all levels of collector and, um, you know, and for fans of pretty much every genre. Um, whether it be horror, science fiction, or fantasy, or re- even music, or, or Disney characters, and we, you know, we, we're hoping to we're hoping to, to try and cover as much as possible um, in 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 the store, um, on uh, on the website, and um, and in the Facebook group in 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 the weeks and months to come, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, some of you listeners will come out and and uh, support us in our efforts as well. So uh, that's it uh, for this week. We're just going to go on to our interview now with uh, Kate Drummond, um, who was in the uh, miniseries Cat 8 um, and was also in the, um, in the last of the uh, Sprint Cell games uh, as well. So without further ado, on to Kate Drummond, and I'll be back afterwards to uh, play out the show. Hello, I'd like to welcome to the show um, actress um, extraordinaire Kate um, Kate Hudson. No, sorry, not Kate Hudson. Kate Drummond. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was just wishful well, that's thinking. That's the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just wishful thinking. <laughs> oh dear, I'm gonna hang up now. Oh no, no, don't hang up. <laughs> um, 
Well, you can't tell your guests to announce them by someone else just to see if they're listening and, you know, to, to sort of shake them up a bit and get them off their high horse? Um, no, I've never done I've never done that sort of thing before. It's just something like your first name was Kate and I forgot your surname, so I was by myself time. <laughs> no, um, Hudson, Winslet, um, yeah. who else is out there? Oh. What other Kates are there out there? Oh, Drummond. <laughs> yes, Drummond. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll leave that sec. We'll leave that bit in because I think that's quite funny. <laughs> um, well, I, I, you know, song. I, can't, I read that you got your start um, before you went into the acting. You was a school teacher, um, and you know, so I've got to be a good boy. You, you do, because um, otherwise I'm going to, you know, assign some sort of homework that you're going to have to do that's, you know, I promise to announce my guests by their right name. I promise to announce my guests by their right name. I'm going to have you write that over, a hundred times over. And it's okay, I'll just put some computer code in and have the computer do it for me while I make myself a cup of coffee. Of course you would. <laughs> of course you would. I met my match today with you, sir. I feel it already. Um... Well, you know, I think what I want what I want to ask you first is uh, how do you go from being a school teacher um, and and how 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 did you cross over into acting? Did you sort of like study acting alongside um, teaching or something? Um, that's a great question. I um, much like yourself was an athlete my whole life, and so when I was a little girl, I had a hard time in school and was always finding myself in the principal's office. And um, so they threw me into sports and thought that maybe that would, you know, settle me down a little bit. And of course, I just was just, I loved sports and uh, I competed right up until the end of university, which sort of ate up all my free time. But before my first uh, sports team, um, Growing up as a little girl, I was just such a performer, and I'd always dreamed of being an actress, and um, I'd put on shows in the neighborhood and, you know, invite all the neighbors to come and see me perform, and <laughs> it was it was very unapologetic, and, and, um, and what ended up happening is I sort of, I sort of found myself in university um, going going the teaching route um, in my postgrad because I coached so much being so involved in sports it was sort of a natural progression into teaching mm -hmm. um, and working with kids and uh, loved it I loved school teaching but I you know what I loved most about it was I loved incorporating drama and I loved you know into all my subjects I and I I just it was something I couldn't ignore this thing that was sort of it, that I discovered I loved so much at such a young age it was sort of it was bubbling up to the surface in my life and um, when I was 30 um, I was in a real funk in my life and just completely feeling unfulfilled and I had no idea why because I had technically everything that people would want you know I, I had the job and the, the the life the relationship the the house the big tv I had these things that you're supposed to want but I was I was really, I was sad, and uh, so I, I, I had a, a real come to with my with myself, and asked, you know, came to the realization that wow, I'd never really pursued the arts, which is something that was so vibrant in me, and so I took my first acting class at thirty, and it felt like I was home. <laughs> 
And I thought, this, I feel, I feel better. And instantly, I felt better. And, um, you know, one class led to another class, led to, you know, my first theater show, to my first movie. And I was balancing acting and teaching. You know, I'd teach all day. And then I'd race to the stage and do shows at night. And uh, I did that for five years. And then finally, um, when I was 35, I, I was, you know, I was teaching a unit on um, dreams. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kids were talking about what they wanted to be when they grow up and their big dreams. And one of my kids came up to me and she asked me what my dream was. And I said, well, I've always wanted to be an actress. And she just sort of looked at me and said, well, why aren't you doing that? You know, <laughs> meaning why are you in the classroom right now and not out, you know, I took it as why are you not out there full time committing yourself to this thing you love and that you dream, you know. And so, uh, yeah, about six months later, I had sold everything I owned and I moved cities to um, a more central hub for acting and uh, started from the base basic ground level and... Uh, Three years later, I'm here, and I'm I've no regrets. So it was a it was an interesting transition, though. <laughs> yeah, sounds you know? so, sounds like a, sounds like you could actually uh, make make a movie out of that whole segment. <laughs> it's it's really funny. I've I I've told this story to numerous people. It comes up a lot because it's just not a logical transition, um, especially um, going you know at my age being sort of a late bloomer in the industry and um you know I met a lot of resistance I had a lot of people telling me you know I you don't want to give up teaching you've got a pension you've got this stable life and it's very comfortable and I and I thought yes but I I don't want to be comfortable I want to be happy and I want to be artistic and I want to be fulfilled and I want to I want to push the envelope in my life I I want to just I have to explore this and um so yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's been a really. Every time I tell the story, I just can see it as if it happened yesterday with that little girl coming right up to me, and and uh, you know, little did she know that she she changed my life in that one simple little question. You know, it's it's quite funny because um, if you'd asked me about ten years ago what I that that I'd be doing this sort of thing now, I, I probably would have laughed at you. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, I never set out to do this sort of thing. It just sort of <laughs> happened. Um, like, like of everything, I've gone, you know, I've gone from doing sport to doing performing arts and drama uh, to, to, to doing to doing this. And um, and now, now I've got a few other things that, that are going on. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of pursuing my, my dream at the moment, uh, which is I've always wanted to play guitar. And for the last um, for the last eighteen months, I've been learning music and learning to play guitar. Good for you. Um, so hopefully, in about another year or two, I, I I'll be, I'll be playing in a in a rock band or or a blues band or something. Oh my um, goodness! You know, that that'd be if my I'm dream. If I'm in town, I want I want front row seats. <laughs> well, you know, um, if 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 it happens for me, um, you know. I'm, I'll be offering everyone front row seats. <laughs> um, my my second question: I noticed by reading your bio that you were uh, had a guest role in the uh, American version of uh, Being Human. Yes. Um, now I've not really seen very much of of, of that show because um, you know I'm 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 a um, you know I prefer the British version. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> I saw a couple episodes of the British version. That that's an old credit. That's from a long time ago. Yeah, I know it's from a long time ago. I'm just wondering what uh, what role you played and, um, you know, what, what your experience I was, was like. I played, um, her name was Shelly, and um, basically she was a, a very, um, she was a psychic and um, was foreseeing, you know, they went to her in terms of uh, there was doom that she was, that she was um, predicting and, and all of that stuff, and... Um, so she took them through this sort of journey of what she was seeing in their futures and, and things like that. And then what ended up happening is that she ended up being completely a flake. And uh, she was a fun, she was a fun little role. I liked her a lot. Mm-hmm. I liked her a lot. That was, that was like, I think I shot that three summers ago, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because I actually, um, I interviewed uh, the producer of Being Human, or well, one of the producers of it, uh, a few years back. Um, and I've also interviewed uh, one of one of the guys that comes on and directs the episodes as well. Oh, nice! From that show, as well as um, as well as one of the leads, um, the guy that plays the uh, vampire. I forget his name off the top of my head. I've interviewed him. Oh gosh. Um, so I, I've, I've interviewed quite a lot of people from that show. Um, nice. But again, not you know, I've not gone out gone out of my way to seek them out. They usually just happened. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Well, I like I like that was very very early on in my in my film and television career. And what's nice about it is that after you hit sort of the three mark the three year mark on a show, you can they can start to bring you back. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping to get back on that show at some point. Well, you know, if you wasn't killed off or anything, they 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 could always bring you back. Yeah, I was not killed. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. Well, when you did the show, was you aware of the British version of the show? I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was. It's much better, isn't it? <laughs> I can't comment. <laughs> I can't comment. I saw, you know, I saw a couple episodes of the British one, and this was way, way back because I didn't, I didn't know the show fully when I, when I was cast at, in it. So um, I had to, I watched a couple episodes of the Canadian version, um, and then I watched a couple episodes of the of the British version, and just to sort of get a sense of the genre and stuff like that. So. Mm. I, I think the you know to be honest they're both their own thing. Um, I've only seen um, a handful of episodes of the American version, but I've seen the whole lot of the British version. Yeah. <laughs> you know because that that was that was the one that came out first. Well, there's and... a difference in 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 British you know in the British television the feel of it as well. You know, like there's just there's something about uh, you know they just have a different vibe to them all together. Mm-hmm. Well, the only reason I watched the British version um, as much as I did is because um, I had a, I had a major crush on Annie, on 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 the actress that plays Annie the ghost. <laughs> so, so so just just see her character just kept me com- you know coming back for more. <laughs> nice. Um, another another uh, another role, and I think this is probably also uh, Ian in in your three year career so far. Is it three years? Uh, well, I. I guess technically, uh, no, I've been at it for about eight years, but officially living in Toronto and doing it full time to just, yeah, three years. Mm. Well, wow, that seems so, it seems like such a short time. Yeah, but the amount of work you've done, it probably, it probably feels like 30 years, right? <laughs> I've been very, I'm not going to lie, I've been very blessed. <laughs> um Another show you did you did a guest spot on was a uh, covert affairs. Um, again, this is uh, this is another show that I've seen. I seen I seen the whole of the first season, 
yeah. a few couple of years back but um because because um i don't know when it's on here now um because they're always changing things around yeah i don't know when to dip in so i've only seen you know bits and bobs of the second season of it um so i'm just wondering did you get did you play a spy in that one or no and actually that wasn't that wasn't a guest spot for covert affairs it wasn't no no that was just a that was sort of a day play thing i walked i did a, a i had to do the news it was like a tiny little role Ah, so it used like when when they cut to the newsreader. Yeah. Yeah, but those, those, those roles can actually get you quite famous, though, in 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 so many ways. I mean, I should imagine you get a lot of you know getting a lot of people, um, go going you know want wanting guests want wanting someone to uh, read the news that 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 was in the nineteen uh, eighties version of V. Oh, we want a newsreader from the nineteen eighties version of V. Can we get this person as a guest? You know. I know, and I I know you're trying to make me feel better, but it's you know it was just you know it's just a tiny little a tiny little role. That's the that's the thing I'm I'm uh, I'm working on right now in Toronto actually, and and in Canada is, uh, um, you know the TV the TV industry is a tough nut to crack. Um, you know, most of my work has been obviously with the video game and in film. You know, in you know I did a mini series with Matthew Modine and. Um, I shot that a couple, when did, did I shoot that last summer? I was living in Montreal and shooting that. And um, and then obviously the work with Splinter Cell was, you know, a good year and a half of work. Was that um, Cat 8? Cat 8, yeah. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it queued up on my Netflix here. Oh, um, do you? Yeah, I've, I've not actually seen it yet. Um, but I, I do have it queued up on my Netflix. Well, if you can, if you can sort of suspend some sort of scientific principle, uh, ideas of, of scientific principles. Um, it's, it's a fun, it was a really fun, fun miniseries to shoot. You know, it's sort of, anytime you're shooting a series where, shooting something where the, the end of the world is, is imminent and, you know, you've, you've, you're losing your loved ones and things are falling apart and, you know, it's, the, the intensity is always very high and, and, you know, and it's very, it's a very fun place to play. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but back to the, uh, the, the TV, you know, the covert affairs thing, it's just, it's a, it's a tough TV and film or TV episodic in Canada is just, you know, there's a lot of actors, you know, vying for, for what seems to not be a whole lot of, of roles for series regulars and things Mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, would you say, you know, because you, you've, you've come into it in your thirties into the acting thing, um, would would you say these sort of like kind of like a bit of an age ageism thing? Um, you know, in in when it comes casting, um, you know, when when it comes casting women, would you say well, this kind of like I, an ageism type thing going on? I I think I think yes and no. I think, but I think the ageism that is that that is occurring is the thought that when um you know when someone sees sees my sees my age and sees my resume. Um, thinking, oh, but she's she's this age and has not led a series yet, and has not had you know been a regular on a series yet. So does this mean that you know we you know she's in she's in the same pool with other women at her at her age who have already had series? So when I'm competing against those women, that's 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 the the thing I struggle with is sort of being in the pool with the same actors who have been in this industry since they were 10 and their resumes are, you know, four pages long 
and then um, and then me coming in later in life. So, you know, it's it's a it's an uphill sort of climb, and I'm not quiet about it. So I, you know, I. It's nice when you get a when you get a director that that takes a chance sort of on the unknown, and then it's and and that's how the work is is coming now. It's it's coming through word of mouth, and you know people have known me through some of the work I've done, and and you know now it it's getting to that point where once you know you 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 sort of through networking, right? You work with people, and they say, "Oh man, <laughs> this girl can act," you know mm-hmm. she. She can act, and you know. Let's disregard the fact that I haven't seen her in you know two series already. This girl can act, and it doesn't matter that you know she, we don't care that she came into it later on in life. So it's just you know that's just one of the the realities of coming into the business late. Mm-hmm. You know, is that that is my I've got to pay my dues like everyone else. But um, you know, I'm I'm going at it sort of with an, an a fresh perspective, I think, because I have I'm not worn out by the industry. I'm very, I'm very energized by the industry. I, I, I love, you know, getting my stuff out there. I love meeting new people. I love sort of creating projects and, and, you know, creating my own work as well. So it's, uh, you know, that's the, that's the, the, the place I'm at right now. I think that I always, um, you know, I, I always say is, um, I, I just sort of like tend to grab hold of every single opportunity that I can, you know, right. if, if, you know, if for example I'm offered um, the chance to interview an actor that I know we're ringing about, I'll I'll go after that opportunity because you right. know there's only one way you're going to learn what that person's done, and that's by asking them. You know, that's true. And it's, it's true. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of great things. You know, and um, ultimately, I mean, it's just about uh, I think you know in the artistic in the art, in the artistic world, um, you know, it's all about uh, it's about trust. It's about faith. It's uh, you know taking chances on the unknown, and and you know miraculous things happen when you know when you least expect it. So, so. in in Cat Eight, um, did you get to work a lot with Matthew Moldine? Um, did you have any scenes with him? Yeah, I did. I was one of the leads of that miniseries, and um, oh wow, I'm gonna have to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, you know, Matthew was uh, so Matthew was my ex-husband, and we share a daughter. And, um, and, and he's sort of a rogue scientist, you know, a, a rogue scientist, not rogue. Well, he has, he has sort of gone rogue. Um, but he's, he's, a, he's a scientist that was sort of banished from, you know, his, his studies because of, you know, conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And um, so basically, it, it's one of those situations where, you know, the end of the world falls on, on the one scientist who no one wanted anything to do with, you know, it falls on, it falls into his hands. And, and so it was nice because, you know, it was a series of, um, you know, over the two, the two, uh, episodes, um, it, uh, it was nice because there was a lot of sort of, Oh, we we're saved. Oh no, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. <laughs> so it was sort of that roller coaster of, of fun, but it was, it was fun. It was like shooting, um, it was kind of like being at Universal Studios at some points because everything was so real. So if cars were, if things were blowing up, they were actually blowing up. Yeah, I, I love the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. That is just so cool. Oh, isn't it amazing? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the King Kong ride. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's so, it's so fun to play in that environment. And what was really great about working with Matthew Modine is that um, I, I really liked him since I was a teenager. And so to 
have the chance to be sitting in a makeup chair next to him and on our first day of shooting together. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, I had a crush on you when I was a teenager and now I'm your ex-wife in, a, in our miniseries. And he kind of laughed and I said, if I didn't tell you that, I would have been, that would have been on my mind the whole time. So I'm just glad I outed it and we can start fresh. But he was, he was such, such a joy to work with the whole cast and, and the director was amazing to work with. So, well, you know, considering you had a crush on him when he was a teenager and marriage didn't last very long, didn't it? Yeah, I know. It's amazing how <laughs> the magic of television. <laughs> yeah. That's just, sorry. Uh, that, I, uh, that's quite, you know, it's just, um, I was just voicing my very fully ironic thought there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm naturally a cynic. It's okay. Um, and a big, a big role for you. Um, and this is really what we come on to talk about a little bit about is um, you, you were uh, played the role of uh, Anna Grimm's um, hyphen apostrophe whatever. <laughs> Her last name is Grimm's daughter. I was going to, I was just going to say that actually. <laughs> Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> in, in in the uh, Tom Clancy video game Splinter Cell Blacklist, uh, could you yeah. talk a little bit about the process that he went through to 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 actually get that role and and bring that character to life? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, because it's uh, because Splinter Cell Blacklist was you know the first the first game out of Ubisoft Toronto's new studio. Um, it was also a diff- it was also taking their gaming to a new level with the use of um, performance capture technology, which was different than the previous games, which used motion capture. And the difference is um, that in motion capture, you would have an actor wear the motion capture suit with all of the little reflective balls on it, and and then you'd have possibly another actor go into a sound booth later on and put sync up their voice with the actions that were, you know, captured by the person in the mocap suit. And there was a bit of a disconnect and um, in terms of characters and things like that. And what Blacklist went to, was aiming to do was to bring sort of this hyper-realism and this cinematic feel to the narrative of the story so that it was really compelling for the gamers. Um, they wanted the gamers to actually invest in the characters and want to want to be in the game, um, you know, in terms of like really feeling like they were following a storyline. Mm-hmm. And um, and connect with the characters, like I said. So when I was auditioning for it, I prepared for it just like I would for film and television. Um, it's not there's it's not a voice role. It's a full performance capture role. So basically, when we worked, um, when I was cast and we went to set for the first time, they put you in your motion capture suit, but you're also wearing what looks like a cage around your head, which is this head-mounted camera. Mm-hmm. And it picks up your facial expressions, your voice, um, any sort of small facial gestures, while your motion capture suit is picking up, you know, is sort of transmitting what your body is doing. And it takes all of that information and it syncs it in real time onto your animation. So your animation is essentially doing exactly what you're doing as an actor, which was so great because when we shot the scenes from Splinter Cell Blacklist, the cast, the four, there were four, you know, top, the four um, people, uh, characters in Fourth Echelon. We would we would work together and work off each other as if we were on a on a TV set or a film set. 
So it was so, it was just such an awesome experience because, you know, um, you had nothing, you had no props or anything. So it was sort of like being, doing theater work, but you were trying to, but you were also, it was very much like film and television at the same time. You know, you had to sort of, if the, if the plane was crashing and going down, you had, you know, there was nothing around you except a big empty space. Um, you had to invent all of this in your mind. And so it totally amped up your imagination, your use of your imagination. And cool. it was just such a thrill, you know. But mm. that audition was um, that audition was just like film and television. And then um, the process of that was that I was brought back to read with a, a bunch of, uh, a couple of different Sam, possible Sam Fishers. Um, you know, obviously with Eric Johnson being the one they chose. And uh, when he and I read together for the first time, it was just very natural, and it seemed to be a very good fit for the relationship that Grimm and Sam Fisher have, um, you know, throughout the, the Splinter Cell series, which is very tumultuous. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was just uh, just a great role, a really, really great role, loved it. And, um, yeah, the cast and, and director was in, the creative director, everyone on board with Splinter Cell Blacklist was just top-notch. So yeah. it was a great, great experience. Could you talk, talk, talk us through a little bit about your character of Grimm? You know, um, what, what kind of, you know, when, when you were actually preparing for the role, um, when I used to study drama, I used to tend to write little uh, notes in the margins of my script in order yeah. to, you know, sort of like give myself a, a little bit of backstory, a little bit of spark to fire up my imagination and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I'm just wondering, um, um, did you do the same? That's that sort of. Did you take that sort of approach for this? And um, did you actually have a backstory in mind for your character um, when when going into it? Well, because Anna, you know, the life of Anna Grimm's daughter existed before I came into it. Um, I really, I had to do a lot of research on her and find out what her story is and what drives her and where where her head is today. Um, and, you know, that was really interesting for me because that's a challenge that for an actor stepping into the shoes of an established character, it's a very fine line um, between doing what has already been done um, or moving moving forward with the character and making her your own, but still honoring the work that the other artists have put into her life prior to yourself being in her shoes, if that makes any sense. So mm -hmm. I needed to honor you know, her story and where she's come to, but I also needed to... Um, I think by nature of who I am as a person, you know, that there was sort of flair and my own personal nuances that came into Anna Grimm's daughter in Blacklist that may not have been there in Conviction. But, um, you know, so for the preparation, Anna was a very good fit for me as a person. Um, there, You know, I knew I got her. I, I, I understood her from the beginning. Uh, as soon as I started reading her backstory and I started, you know, learning about her and making choices about her in terms of even just for the audition um, and then our first time shooting, um, there was a sense of, there was a real sense of myself in her. And I think it comes from the fact that I was an athlete. And I think it comes from the fact that I was surrounded by boys growing up, that she was very, Anna is very strong in herself and she's, she has no problem being the only female and standing up to, you know, three men on her team and saying, no, I disagree. She has no, there's no sort of 
she's not intimidated by that. And I think, you know, I, I was a bratty little sister and, and, and an athlete. So, I, I mean, that essence of competition and standing up for something I believe in is very true to me as a human being. And so um, that was really fun to just slip into that role, that which is Grimm. You know, Grimm is, she's a techni- technical operations manager. She's very strategic. Um, she is, you know, a skilled hacker. She's, she's very techie. And, um, Sam is not. Sam is sort of instinctual. He's more animalistic in his approach. He, he mm-hmm. gets a hunch and, and Grimm is very calculated. And so that's where they butt heads all the time is, you know, he wants to do it one way. She thinks they should do it the other. And ultimately they constantly are butting heads about what is the best approach. But what's really nice about that is that they, the game before Blacklist was Conviction, and Anna and Sam had a very, very hard time getting along in Conviction. Oh. <laughs> and so, at the end of Conviction, they both walked each other separate ways and vowed to never work together again and basically wouldn't have cared if they ever saw each other again. And then they get thrown together in Blacklist, and they've got to make the needs of the world, which is, you know, stopping the Blacklist, um, which is, you know, a series of terrorist attacks. They've got to put that ahead of their own feelings about each other. But through the course of Blacklist, you see a real sort of respect, a mutual respect, you know, developing between them, which was really fun to play. And uh, and Eric Johnson was just, you know, just such a, a such an incredible actor to work with. And uh, so it was it was very, very fun, fun to play that, you know, to play that part. Do you think you'll never get to play the character again? Oh, from your lips to God's ears, um, I, I would hope so. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, my last day on set with, with shooting for Grimm, it was sort of one of those feelings of, um, ah, but there's so much more I want to tell. There's so much more of her that I get now that I didn't get at the beginning, you know, because she she's evolved through me and um and and I've and and I had a really that was the longest time I'd ever had the opportunity to spend with a character and so it was just um you know taking her from start to finish of Blacklist was just such such a fun fun thing to do and I and I fell in love with her um and I and I I wanted you know to continue telling her story and I wanted to see where she was going to go next, and what, what what were the next steps for Grimm and Sam. So you know, obviously, I wouldn't turn I wouldn't turn it down if it was offered to me. I don't even know what the the future of Splinter Cell is. So at this point, so I mean, um, right now, I'm just I'm just really really grateful that I that I had that opportunity to tell her story in Blacklist. Well, I think I think the future of Splinter Cell is probably next generation console if it happens. <laughs> Well, that would be nice. You know? That would be nice. I just, I have, I absolutely have no idea. I've noticed that you, you know, in in your television work, getting back to your television work, you've done you've done quite a bit of science, you know, science fiction, fantasy, and a little bit of horror, with yeah. um, but both of um, you know, covert affairs is kind of like um, with the use, use of computers, I kind of class that as action, sort of like spy fi. Right. <laughs> That's what I call okay. it. Um, well, it's a, it's a it's it's a phrase that's been going around for quite a while. And I've been using it for about ten years. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, it's spy fi. I uh, like it. I like it. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna have to steal that. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna have to learn to spell it properly. <laughs> you, know, it was just, you know, it's funny. I was just writing it, and I thought, how do I spell that? S P Y F I. Yeah. S P Y F Y. 
it always it always tricks me it always tricks me because you don't want to do it spie or spy <laughs> you know it's, it's it's always one one of those you have to think about for a while um but you know i've noticed you've done done quite a lot of those roles i, I, I don't do you, do you kind of go up for that kind of role or do you kind of go up for any role um i don't go for any role um i've got to really love the story and I've got to love the character to go for the role. Um, because if I'm going to invest myself in it, I, I want to, I want to stand for something, you know, I really want to, I want to either, you know, love it as from a fun, this is going to be a fun thing to do, or I've got to love it for that's a story my heart really wants to tell. And, um, but, but I think I, I do get, I do get called in for sci-fi. It seems to be a really good fit for me that, or the spy fi as you will. Um, it, it seems to just be a really natural fit for me as a human being. Um, you know, I, I love the action, uh, that's in a lot of the, 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 you know, especially with the, with Cat 8 and, um, you know, with Cat 8, that was one of the, the biggest ones that had the most, sort of the most action. Um, you know, I, I, I like that. I like sort of that hype, that, um, you know, the stakes are high, the adrenaline is pumping. Mm, heightened reality. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. But on the other hand, I one of the reasons I, I love being an actor so much is because I love telling I love telling truthful stories of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I and I think for me that is that is the thing for me is the I wanna tell the stories that make people sit up and listen. And I, I want it I, I I think I'm designed as a storyteller to be that person. You know, I, I shot a role in this movie called uh, Clara's Deadly Secret, and my agent actually hadn't submitted me for this project. And I read the script, and I asked her. I said, "I, I want, I want to be, I want to audition for this role." And it was a, it was a, you know, a smaller role. It wasn't one of the leads. And um, she said, "Okay, um, I, okay." And I said, "I just." know that I am meant to tell this woman's story and it was a woman who watched basically her daughter fall to her death and ends up 20 you know spending 20 years in a psych ward and so the woman is you know at the age of 30 in the movie and then she's aged up to you know late 40s and the heartbreak of that story um I I would do it I would live in that woman's shoes if I could I just as an artist, for me, that is that role was one of the highlights of my career because it came from such a truthful, heart open place, mm-hmm. and and it and it was it was humanity. It was just it wasn't you know dive diving out of the way of you know <laughs> a metal tornado or something like that. It was it was and and I'm not saying that I didn't love my experiences on sci-fi movies. I do. I I would I would be happy to spend my life in sci-fi but but there's also that side of me that just loves telling those heart-centric stories so i'm a real juxtaposition you know i'm like crazy action chick where i want to you know lay down the law and be you know take down the villains and stand up for myself and be all badass and then the other side of me is i want to be that really strong vulnerable the strength in the vulnerability of a character so Mm -hmm. I, i like to push the envelope both ways yeah, well, um, 
did this actually kind of nice and leads on to uh, the other question I got here is um, is there actually um, a dream role that you'd like to play in television movies or theatre um, that you'd like to have a crack at and if so what is it and what about that character holds holds such appeal to you oh wow that's a that's a really tough question you know one of the one of the first things that comes to mind for me is um, you know I've always wanted to play Lady M because um, I'd love to play her. She's uh, she's one of those characters that just resonated with me the moment I read you know read that play. And there's something about her. There's something about her standing in her power and crumbling at the same time um, that I just love. I, I I that would be a dream role for me um, as well. You know I I tend to like characters like that in in theater. Um, Blanche Dubois from Streetcar, mm-hmm. same sort of thing. You know she's that crazy and um but so vulnerable and and sad and i i just love that fun that role i i just think there's so much so so many places to explore uh in that in that humanity of those two characters so that's that's for that's for theater um film and television and and dream roles i i don't know i honestly Mm -hmm. couldn't tell you i mean Going back to the previous question, it would it would be probably I probably don't know the role yet. I'll probably know it when I see it. Um, it'll probably be I'm thinking an independent film. It'll probably be you know the story of a very truthful, natural uh, story of of an everyday hero overcoming some sort of obstacle in their life and 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 a truth, a, a real sense, a, a real through line of of truth mm-hmm. through the entire movie. Um, that that would probably be the the dream role that I'll you know if we if we talk a couple years from now maybe I'll have an answer but I, I, I you know right now right now I, I I wouldn't I don't know I don't think I've I don't think I've uh, yeah I don't know yet is there any woman in history that you know has been a particular inspiration that you you might like to have a crack at. Uh, yeah, there is actually. There's a Canadian explorer named Mina Hubbard. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, yes. She and her story is fantastic. And actually, I've been trying to get in touch with the production company who actually wrote a script and were in pre-production for a movie about her in Canada here. And what happened was that I, I think there was a, a misfortune on, on, the, on the production team which caused the project to be tabled. But basically, you know, Mina Hubbard was this explorer who avenged her husband's murder and it's a true story by by racing, you know, basically exploration of, of um, the, the East Coast. Um, and at the time, it was sort of unheard of that women were out in the bushes and, and, you know, racing to find the next piece of land that had not been occupied. And basically, she she did just that. And her story is just so beautiful and, and lovely. And, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm very inspired by her. Cool. Well, I'm I think I... by a lot of people, though. I, to be quite honest, it's such a hard question for me. These these favorite questions are so hard because I'm inspired by you know the person that I talk to at the side of the street waiting for the light to change. Like they, for some reason, I find myself talking to these people that are just. I feel like I just feel like I'm constantly being inspired by by random people that I don't even know. You know, so mm. <laughs> it's such a hard question to answer. What what other projects? Do you have any projects ongoing at the moment that you, or any roles that you're trying to get? Um, well, I've I've 
got always got sort of something on the go. Um, you know, I'm usually working in the commercial industry as well because that's great. You know, to pay the rent. <laughs> um, but in terms of sort of long term uh, stuff, I I've got a an online cooking show. Uh huh. I was going to ask you about that actually. <laughs> yeah, which is um, very very. Uh, it's a really interesting little show um, because I can't cook. And so it's very comedic. And it, what it does for me is it sort of fulfills my artistic um, uh, uh, passion for storytelling in terms of editing. And, you know, so I film and edit it and everything on my laptop. And so it's a one woman show. And I basically learn how to cook online. And then I edit it in these short little videos. And <laughs> things go wrong and blow up in my face. And I break things and burn things and stuff. But strangely enough, I've had a bit of a following develop because people are liking the fact that it's not the typical cooking show that's, you know, all perfectly placed and everything works out. And, you know, no one can relate to because if you're any, if you're normal, you, cooking is not pretty. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, normal in my perspective, because I never learned to cook. But, um, so yeah, so I'm constantly, I'm constantly working on, on my show. It's called A Jock's Guide to Cooking, because I was a jock, an athlete growing up. And, um, and uh, actually, so I'm now branching out into a different show, um, which I can't really talk about right now, but it's in, um, it's in pre- pre-production, so to speak. And uh, it's sort of upping upping the quality of the show that's currently out and uh, taking that sort of idea and, and taking it uh, a step further. So a jobs guide is, you were saying earlier about, um, you know, the thing things that we love to do not making us any money. And a, and, and a jobs guide is definitely not, does not make me any money. It's 100% uh, out of pocket and it's 100% of my proceeds go to a charity that I'm partnered with. So... I'm really passionate about that because, you know, I, I think that, you know, if we can help, we should. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so through, through doing something I love so much, I also get to support a cause that I am, you know, deeply, deeply connected to, which is um, Kids Sport, which is an organization here in Canada that helps kids who can't afford to play organized sports. Um, it helps, helps their families afford, you know, equipment and registration fees and stuff like that and, yep. and gets kids involved in sports, which basically saved me so I feel pretty connected to that mm-hmm. so yeah so I'm doing that I've got a show going up on stage in May that I'm working on and um, it's an Arthur Miller piece which I'm ecstatic about and playing a real lovely character who's all messed up and has multiple personalities and so I'm you know that's that's a full-time job prepping for that as well so mm-hmm. yeah and then other than that it's just auditioning it's just getting out there and and you know continuing to to you know climb that mountain anyway um you know thank, thanks for being on the show it's been great speaking to you and before we do, do do end this do you do you actually have a link for your jocks guides cooking i do i do it is uh www dot a j o c k s g u i d e dot com so www dot and anything that's not there, you can find on uh, Twitter or Facebook or my katedrummond.com. Lots of... I'm, I'm kind of out there. Cool. So, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. I see. It's been lots of fun at, at ringing out having you on. It's been great. Thank you.
Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before? Discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website, which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com, where all your questions will be answered in our Frequently Asked Questions page, and don't miss our short video presentation from some of our space opera series in development. I'm going to step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one Hi, my name is Steve Lund, and I play the character Nick Sorrentino on the new sci-fi and space series Bitten, and you are listening to SciFiPulseRadio.com, taking the pulse of sci-fi. that's about it for this week folks um, we'll be back next week with uh, an episode where we'll be talking about um, our science fiction and fantasy merchandise um, in terms of uh, action figures bobbleheads and, and things that you know we love to uh, get hold of growing up and that that, that, that people love to connect um, and that, that's just going to be a, a one off special episode I'll be running with uh, next week uh, thanks for listening as always and um no, we'll be back at you uh, next week, and um, I'm pretty sure Matt has has some more genretainment coming up. Um, he's going to be doing his show every alternate week from now on in, um, because you know he's 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 got quite a busy schedule on with uh, with filming and producing and and directing and and his day job as well. So um, so genretainment's going to be so like um, going out once every alternate week from now on in. Um, at least until till Max's schedule becomes a little bit less busy. Um, thanks as always for listening, and we'll be back at you next week. We offer the world order.